You are listening to the BU Podcast with Michael Arrington. We discuss social justice, childhood trauma, current events, hip-hop, and so much more. Now, here's your host, Michael Arrington. Peace. What's good? It's your man, Mike Arrington, BU Podcast. We in here for another one um, today. We have uh, my man J.C. Hall. Um, we're going to talk about hip-hop therapy. We're going to talk about childhood trauma. We're going to get into some things. We're going to break some lyrics down. Very, very intelligent brother. I had the fortunate uh, blessing to uh, do kind of a Instagram live, kind of in the peak of COVID. And uh, we had some very, very interesting conversations with myself and Brittany Williams, who was a past guest, and my man... Um, Aaron White, who I'll probably bring on at some point, um, but we had very interesting perspectives on hip hop and the use of hip hop and the forms of hip hop and therapy and how it all kind of correlates with body movement and things of that nature. So it should be a very, very dope conversation. But before I bring him on, I wanted to kind of give you guys kind of a uh, some insight on a conversation I had with one of my colleagues who is a uh, a teacher. She kind of, you know, it's one of those people that kind of hold very near and dear to old school concepts in regards to children as it comes to like punishment versus treatment or teaching skills as opposed to, you know, or corporal punishment as opposed to teaching skills. And it's like her perspective was very, very interesting or whatever. We had a student that we have in common that I was kind of um, showing her what things that are uh, useful in the classroom and, and kind of using his strengths to her advantage as opposed to just focusing in on the negative and um, focusing in on the behaviors. The behaviors stem from something. So it's kind of getting to the root of that uh, is how you kind of help with the behaviors, right? It's kind of like my man, one of my mentors, Dr. Naeem Akbar said, you got to uh, first heal the hurt and then feed the growth. Right. And so with this particular student, he comes in, he doesn't do work, you know, he talks back, you know, he's really disrespectful to her. And so but never once has she ever asked herself why. And so her comment was like, you know, you guys come in here and always talking about, you know, treatment and therapy and trauma and, you know, kids are just bad because they bad. And, you know, ass whooping can really help all that. Right. And so. That may have been effective a time ago, you know what I'm saying? And it, it's how my parents, you know, raised me. It's how the generation that I'm from, I'm from, the, I was born in 74, so I'm a mid-70s, 80s baby. So those things were relevant and prevalent back then. But these kids are, are a lot different. They have more access to things. You heard me talk about that a lot on this show to where they have more, you know, what I call access to excess. And so because they have information and they can get it at the speed of light they feel a certain way they digest information differently and they digest directions differently and so some of the strategies that I gave this this uh gave her for the student was to empower him into taking some ownership in the classroom like you know give him a section of a, a part of the class that's his that he could take ownership of and watch how prideful he becomes and then watch how his behavior changed. So when he gets there, he greets all the uh, the students. They come sit down. He reads the agenda, right? And so, and then he also makes sure that all the computers that they use at the end of class are put away and stored um, and so on and so forth. And so, and then there's a section of where the bookcases are to where he makes sure that if anybody gets a book, they put it, they put it back neatly. And so over the course of a couple of weeks, the behavior changed. So he now, not only is he coming to class and he's not being disrespectful and he's not disturbing the class, he's actually in, empowering others to take ownership in their behaviors and change it. Now, not only has his grades gotten better, his behaviors gotten better, his relationship with his peers have gotten better. You kind of get down to the root of changing the behavior. And, and, and so his behavior has drastically changed. He's doing better. And so we had a conversation of me checking in and she was like, yeah, it worked, but she was still skeptical. And, um, 
And so she started talking about, she's like, well, in my day, we just had to deal with it. We had to suck it up, you know? And so I just kind of stopped and her, stopped her in mid conversation and was like, yo, who hurt you? And she kind of looked at me funny and then she took a minute and then she began to cry as she was explaining how neglected she was as a child and how she was, you know, abused as a child and how that affected her through school when she kind of built what she thought was this this thick skin, right? But that thick skin turned out to be this, you know, very, very um, callous behavior and callous visions of and views of how she treats children. And because she's an educator and has been an educator for some time, it was disturbing to me that she had allowed that callous to over, overrun her ideologies of children and wasn't very, uh, she wasn't as useful in the classroom as she needed to be. So that's the importance of therapy and, and, and those types of things. So um, I just wanted to share that story. BU Podcast, we'll be right back with my man J.C. Hall. I'll get at y'all in a minute. You are listening to The BU Podcast with Michael Arrington. Yes, yes, y'all, we are back. BU Podcast, your man Mike Arrington. I'm here with my guest, J.C. Hall. Um, tell the people who you are, what you do, my guy. What's up, man? Pleasure to be here. Uh, yeah, my name is J.C. Hall. I'm a hip-hop artist and therapist. I work in the South Bronx, um, where I run a hip hop therapy studio program, wrapping up our ninth year. It's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate you inviting me, man. I miss um, those IG. I miss those IG lives, man. That shit was fun. Right. That's how we kind of got connected through uh, a mutual friend, Brittany Williams, who was a past guest. Man, we uh, we were doing these IG lives on different hip hop topics, man, and it was really really dope. It was really really organic because none of it was really like you know pre planned or scripted. It was kind of like here's a topic, let's roll. That's kind of what made it dope, man. So I know you are affiliated with Dr. Tyson and hip hop therapy. So um, tell the people about who Dr. Tyson was briefly and then what hip hop therapy is all about. Yeah, no, I appreciate that, man. Dr. Tyson came up on the, the fourth year of his passing. I was just talking to one of his colleagues the other day at Fordham. Uh, I started as my professor. Um mentor and then close friend after I graduated. He's just one of the realest dudes I ever met, man. One of the most humble dudes, one of the most um, genuinely caring. You know what I mean? He was really in the work. He was really doing this because he was, because he, because he cared about the people he had. He came up through Patterson um, and Jersey and had, you know, some, some rough experiences and, you know, really, really lived that life and wanted to to give back, you know, the opportunities that he got to kind of get out, get his master's and get his PhD. He really wanted to give back. And, and it, for him, you know, it was really just all about, you know, th- trying to promote the power of hip hop, you know, right. trying to really just give back and, and, uh, be of service and pay it forward. And, and yeah, so in like 96, he, um, he was working as a graduate student in uh, Miami Dade County in this, uh, facility for, uh, homeless and, and, uh, runaway youth. And yeah, just kind of started incorporating his love and his, his identification with hip hop culture into his engagement, uh, with the youth. And, um, I recently put out this one hour interview we did with him uh, from Mod Haven, a clip of it's in there. And he gives the whole story about, I'm not going to be able to do it justice. So I, I'd, I'd refer people to that. Gives a story about how the, how it first started. What was kind of that first instance where he was like, Oh, wow. You know? So then in right. 98 is when he first presented on it at a professional conference, um, which inspired other people's work. And then 2002 was his pioneering article. And so it's, yeah, essentially hip hop therapy is, an amalgamation of the uh, the healing capacities built within the hip hop, built within the culture itself and the expressive arts itself and incorporating that into more traditional psychotherapeutic modalities. Um, you know, he's drawn overlaps between like music therapy, poetry therapy, more the expressive side, but then also cognitive behavioral therapy. There's been uh, overlaps with narrative therapy, all that. Um, and yeah. Yeah, he, uh, man, was he... he definitely yeah, was this... a pioneer, man. I, I I met him on a panel, 
um, I want to say it was 2003, four, something like that. And um, he was talking about hip hop therapy. And back then I was just there as an artist. I wasn't even in the mental health field just as of yet. But mm. um, I think what, what gravitated to him was my knowledge of different behaviors and some of the things that I talked about as far as, you know, ciphers and, and, and the importance of that and, and you know, mm-hmm. skill building and memorization and rhythm and all that type of stuff. He resonated to what he was, you know, actually pioneering at the time. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was really, really dope, man. His work has definitely been dope, man. I hope um, you can continue to carry his legacy, man. I'm sure he's looking down on you proud, bro. Thank you, um, man. So, man, let me ask you this. So how did you fall in love with hip hop? When was it? And what song was it? Damn, that's a really great question. I would say the first album I heard that I played nonstop was uh, the Fugees, the score, Lauryn Hill, really, in in particular. Um, Super poetic with their words. The way she, you know, the way she was structuring things. And I was always fascinated with the English language. I, I wrote poetry as a, as a little kid, you know, um, like in, in, you know, third grade class, I remember doing a bunch of like rhyming poetry, but I didn't, you know, I was just writing. And uh, what I love, what I loved about hip hop, well, rap music specifically more so than any other genre of music. And what really drew me was that there's a capacity to say so much more in, in a much smaller space, you know, which, which doesn't right. automatically guarantee it's going to be better, right? The whole quality over quantity. But in rap, like, you know, especially the greats, right? If you're going to have any stay, staying power, you better have a quantity of quality, you know, like right. each bar needs to hit each bar, right. you know? Right. So you have a capacity to say in one song, even one verse, get the amount of information across that say a rock artist might need like four songs to do right you know um so that always that really drew me to the art form because i was you know infatuated with the the language arts and poetry and trying to say things and and kind of cut through um complex truths and put them as simply as possible in a way that's kind of like undeniable uh and i heard that in rap like you know lauren hill and then uh big pun um, I would say maybe when I first most fell in love, it was probably DMX. It's dark right. and hell is hot. Um, right. flesh of my flesh. DMX was a huge piece. Um, but I didn't start giving it a shot until, um, like later, like maybe, I, you know, DMX, I was in middle school and then I, I only started being like, oh, maybe I could do this when I was, when I was in, uh, in high school, like my second year. Right a bunch of my homies from like that I grew up with started rapping and I was kind of like, wait, if they could do it, why can't I do it? I know these right, kids. Right. Like, yeah, I grew up with these kids. Let me try this, you know? And they, right. they had a, a little setup at the crib and, and uh, I just started hopping in on, on tracks with them. It was awful. Uh, <laughs> had no idea what I was doing, but it was important to me, man. It was like, it was, um, it was a way for me to express a lot of what I was going through at the time. And a lot of the emotional turmoil and put organize that put it down into something tangible that then i could use to relate with others and vibe with others and community build you know that's kind of the inherent essence of hip-hop yeah i think that like like for me um it started back when i heard the message from grandmaster flash Mm Furious five um it was just the 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 graphic nature in which he was painting a picture with mm-hmm. words. And I've always gravitated to those type of artists, even like, you know, my favorite soul artist is Curtis Mayfield and, and how he was able to put those stories together, man, and kind of make you see it as you're mm-hmm. listening to it, you know, auditorily. Um, that's why I'm a big fan of Scarface, you know, a big fan of, you know, Ice Cube, early Ice Cube stuff and, you know, um, things of that nature, man. And I think it's, it's important. You touched on the, the, the language art side of things, I think I've always kind of gravitated to people that were able to stretch the boundaries of the English language or stretch the boundaries of haikus and and, and similes and so on and so forth, you mm-hmm. know? And so like, I always like, I, I've been enamored by like people like Black Thought and people like Pharrell mm-hmm. Mach and even Eminem and, and Rakim in the early days where they were able to just, they were, the phrasing is what, you know, 
changed the game. You know what I'm saying? And even earlier in that, Chill Rob G and those kind of guys, I mean, Lord Finesse was another one that was really, really mm. intricate with just saying simple stuff, but in a way that nobody else could say it, right? And so I think that's the dope part about the 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 art side, art form side of MCing is that those who do it well, they carry this level of energy in their toolbox, man, that just nobody else could match. And I think that's the dope part about it. A hundred percent, man. And they're, and they're the people you name, like those are technicians, you know what I mean? Like right. even M, Eminem, what he does with syllables and the, the way he, I mean, and, and all the greats really do this, the way they place emphasis on certain syllables that wouldn't necessarily get that emphasis and how that can create rhymes out of words right. that normally you wouldn't kind of like, like the whole thing he did with like orange versus orange, four inch right. door hinge, you know right, what I mean? Like right, right. making, just flipping a, you know, and um, yeah, the, the ingenuity in that is, uh, is fascinating. Cause I think people, people can see, um, and I've, and I've heard this argument that, that rap music is, is too hard. It's too structured. You know what I mean? But I think right. there's so much freedom within that structure with what right. you can do with the syllables, where you can place the rhyme. Are you going to rhyme on the four and just do two, four, two, four, maybe switch it to a one, three, one, three, right. you know, like there's ways to, to um, there's so much freedom, but it's held within this grounding space, this right. set four by four beat. And it's an, it's a beautiful merge of, um, yeah, that balance between order and chaos. You know what I mean? Like, right. for example, I, I used to do some spoken word and write poetry, but it was much harder for me. I didn't really, um, I didn't really like it. I took in college, I took this, this uh, poetry class and I kept just, I just wrote raps and they right. would tell me like, nah, you know, make, make, make like, you know, write like a spoken word type piece, right. you know, and, and yeah, it doesn't you stop start, rhyming so much. Yeah, and once I was you like, start, start writing raps and writing songs, bro, your, your poetry a, game is out of yeah, here. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's a totally different art form. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, it's a totally different craft. Like, um, you need to really, rapping is highly structured poetry. The metrics right. are tight. You know what I mean? Like, there, it's exactly. really tight confines and spoken word and any any poetry, right? You can just, you color outside the lines as much as you want. And some right. people might think that that allows more freedom. Um, and, and it might in a sense, right. Cause it's not as constricted, but it right. also, there's also the, the um, concern of there being too much freedom to roam right. on the page, right. There's yeah, no so. holding structure. There's nothing right. to confine you and put, you know, Right. I think that's the dope part about MCing. Like you hear some of like some of the battles, right? Some of the rap battles where it's acapella, mm. right? And so you could stretch the, mm -hmm. the color outside the lines. You can kind of do whatever, but it's hard to do that in a one four structured beat. Yes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, yeah. And keep up with the metronome and, 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 and try to make it all make sense in that small window of time. Yeah, that you have, no, and like that's, the really that's truly great, great ones, truly great ones are the Crooked Eyes, the Royster Five Nines, the Eminems. They yeah. they really stretch the the bounds of relativity when it comes to to hundred percent, hundred. Yeah, th those dudes are technicians, man. They're they're spot on, and and that's a great point about battle rapping. Like you know how there's they're not being a beat, and it provides a bit more freedom to like leave a, a long a long pause before you then hit him with the punch right you know like build up the anticipation so there's pros and cons you know what i, right. you know I what think I mean? it's, like it's, to both i think they're all different art forms with the origin being MCing, but i think they're all different art forms so um mm -hmm. so man at your school man tell me a little bit about your school um the things that you guys do there how you got started there and um how you've been successful yeah man well I, you know ever since um meeting Dr. Tyson and, and, uh, you know, like really just like begging them to meet up and, and have like a conversation. I was like, I just want to, I, can I pick your brain? Can I shadow you? You know? Um, and he was just the most humble dude, man. Super humble dude took me under his wing was all about it. Um, I guess you can't see behind me, but the, the one mic, one movement conferences we put on in my, my, uh, that, uh, he put on, um, back at Fordham in 2012 and 2013. So kind of getting my feet wet in that while doing my internships. So I started uh, in East Harlem, a GED program, and I was running some groups. Um, and then my second year internship, um, the clinical practicum was at Mott Haven Community High School. Um, 
and it happened very organically, you know, and I was, it just kind of the youth and I, what I was learning from Tyson and applying from my own life as an artist. Um, it just kind of me and the kids really connected, you know what I mean? On a really Mm -hmm. genuine level of just this love for hip hop meeting on that, under that flag of hip hop, right. That cultural turf and, you know, youth that generally were unreachable, quote unquote, um, you know, LTAs, long-term absences, wouldn't come to school, failing everything, fighting. It's a transfer high school. So it's, it's like an alternative high school for you to have kind of aged, um, dropped out or fallen behind coming back. And all of a sudden now they're coming and we're vibing and we're working together every day. And, um, they can't, you know, we can't kick them out of the building because they're in the back and we're just throwing on beats and having ciphers and, and then having group discussions and one-on-one work together. Um, and then that, you know, evolved to the, the principal being forced, you know, having enough foresight and forward thinking enough to offer me a budget to put together a, a state-of-the-art recording studio in the school. And then my buddy Chill Trees helped me put that together. That was 2013. Um, and then just been running it there since and expanding um you know if anyone's interested in some of the the early days the origins i'd encourage you to check out mott haven the short documentary it should be on uh, vimeo and youtube whichever um but yeah it's kind of like du- expanded and doubled in size and investment since like now we have a it's kind of an l-shaped room one side is the recording wing the other is the beat production wing we, we got turntables we got the techniques um the 12s uh uh renaissance mpc and then uh today's future sound hooked us up with a bunch of uh ableton push pads uh so my dude dr gan has been coming through helping me build out that part of the program right um so really just trying to engage youth in as many facets of the culture as possible right even if it's just having a space where they can dance and move um because it was the culture as a whole that you know took the world by storm and had healing powers within it you know what i mean it wasn't right. just the emceeing um i do think there's something specific about the emceeing though that kind of uh makes it i guess extra therapeutic i'm a bit biased as an MC. yeah i um, mean i think it, it it all they all all the the elements are can be therapeutic if i'm yeah. if i'm being honest but it's something about uh, the power of the spoken word that mm. is transformative more so than, uh, but it depends on who you are too. Like, you know what I'm saying? People who grew up in, in, in love dance and, and watched, you know, Alvin Ailey and stuff like that probably feel the same about dance. So hundred um, percent. And it's a lot of, it's like, it boils down to say learning styles, right? Some people are a lot more kinesthetic. Like there's right. plenty of youth I've worked with who they didn't want to write bars, had no interest in it, or it didn't, didn't take, it wasn't, they weren't inclined towards it. Right. Uh, right. But they took to the beat making, you know, like banging it out on the pads, getting their emotions right. out that way, telling a story through sound waves. You know what I mean? Like there's, right. so it definitely can be specific to a person. I know for um, me, when I started doing, I started producing, I want to say on or about 96, 97. And, mm-hmm. you know, I started out with just, you know, an eight second sampler and break beat records in a four track, you know what I'm saying? And so mm. it, was, it was taking those snares and, and hi-hats and drums and kind of making them my own, you know what I'm saying? And putting it on that four minute tape loop, you know what I'm saying? And trying to make it work and then graduating mm. over to the NPC. And it was something about banging on the pads that was therapeutic for me, you know what I'm mm. saying? P- putting that head those headphones on, banging in pads was really, really therapeutic, you know what I'm saying? And then also like taking a, a snare from somewhere and taking a, a Bernard mm. Purdy uh, uh, rim shot and, and you know, a, a bass line from, from some jazz record or mm. Marvin, you know, Marvin Gaye sample here or, you know, different, taking these different pieces to making one, uh, one puzzle, man, was always, I thought, intricate about early hip hop production was taking these different pieces and making it a, your own hip hop mosaic, I thought was always dope. You know what mm. I'm saying about about what hip hop does, man. It's really dope that you do that at the school because I know some of the things that I'm going for next year is I want to be able to build um, kind of a, a, a mini studio, kind of a pre-production studio to where the oh. kids can kind of, you know, um, it be an incentive. Mm-hmm. They don't want to come to school like, oh, you want to, you know, put your joints on YouTube. You know, I need you to, you know, I need you to come to school a little more. I need you to give mm-hmm. me more effort. 
know what I'm saying? We need to talk it out. You need tutoring. We got you. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? But in order to get here, I need you to do these things to do that. And I think it's a really, really dope incentive to have. You know what I'm saying? I'm starting this whole straight A's for J's thing next year. Um, nice. It's kind of, you know, just trying to give them some extra advantage, which kind of brings me into my next point, man. So we're like living in like different times, man. It's just different post-COVID. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. If you can even say that yet. But um, what advice would you give educators and students and even parents, man, to navigate these different these different times? Mm. That's a good question. You said you said a lot of dope things right there. So my mind just kind of went off on different <laughs> tangents. When you said the hip hop mosaic, um, I really I really dug that phrase. Um, that that capacity to use samples to reflect, right? To, right. You're like um, pulling the past into the present, right? Which kind of goes into even if there's not a verbal narrative, right? Just speaking right. with words, telling a story. There's a nonverbal narrative that means. Right something to you right the certain sample or the certain snare that you took from this record resonates with you deeply and reminds you of a, another time and then bringing that together it's kind of that um that uh that catharsis of of um, right. rewriting your narrative and your story um right so yeah i just went off on that no it, then, it, sorry, I mean, you, you're, yeah. you're good at that man that's why one of the reasons why i wanted to interview you man you very very good at at articulating something even deeper than I initially said it. You know what I'm saying? The word hip hop mosaic got you on a whole nother level. And that yeah. in and of itself is dope. So, but what I asked was, um, you know, it's different times, man, post COVID. Mm. Um, it's different for kids. It's different for parents, different for teachers too, man. What advice would yeah. you give to, to, to kind of help navigate that? Well, I guess in terms of um, like, just, just kind of the mental health crisis we're in, or do you mean more specifically like, um, with the dis- social distancing, masks. Kind of all def- that. All yeah. that encompassed. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think we're coming into a new era. Like, now we're... It's dope. Now we're back to where there's no masks and no uh, distancing. Um, I want to say New York City, the schools at least, maybe finally got rid of that about a month or so ago. Um, but that will be in the back of people's minds. You know, that's always going to be in the back of people's minds. And... and um, I think that that was a collective trauma that we all went through in the sense that, you know, being near people could t- potentially, which is, could, which is what life is about and makes life worthwhile was simultaneously life threatening, you know? Right. And I think to, and not really just self, right. The, the fear of like catching it, bringing it home and killing off your parents, your grandparents, you know what right. I'm saying? Your children, like, um, so that that leaves an imp- that leaves its mark on the nervous system, man. Like that leaves an impact, and I don't think that's going to go away anytime soon. No, not at all. In the sense of working through what it is, what is it like? Like even to this day, I'll be sitting in the studio with the youth, and I'm kind of like, I'll forget that they don't got to wear masks. You know, I'll look over and be like, "Mount your mask." Oh, that's right. Or like, "You're a little close to me." You know, like maybe right. back. You know, and like that's not what you should be thinking about in an edu- when you're trying to be an educator, a therapist, right. you know? Um, so that kind of, that can detract and draw away. I think we're going to get to a light at the, I see a light at the end of the tunnel in a sense of there will likely be new strains and new things. And, um, but I think, I don't know if this is just, seems like everybody's just fed up and like, fuck it. I don't want to wear a mask. I'm done with it. You know what I mean? Right. And it seems like as a country, that's just been the push. And it's like, like, for example, when, uh, when Omicron hit, um, we all expected New York city, the schools to shut down. Like the rates were ridiculous. Like right. half the kids were just like, people were dropping like flies and they just were like, nah, not shutting it down. I caught it. I got that shit for Christmas. Um, I was, right. I was out for a good, uh, good two weeks. Um, just laid out but you know so it's kind of i guess i i I say that to say like i think people are at a point where it's like we're gonna live with it you know yeah better or worse yeah i think we're at a point where because i feel like right with right before christmas right when omicron hit Mm -hmm. we're kind of starting to step out of okay yeah we can see the light at the end of the tunnel and then this thing kind of happened and then everybody got sick like my whole family got sick but i didn't get it Mm -hmm. knock on wood 
Um, and so I was able to stay away seven days in the house with people. Everybody had COVID and I didn't, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But, you know, I've worked at a school. I worked at a juvenile home and my immune system is pretty tough. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. but like what I see now at the schools, man, I see, especially the younger kids, uh, like, you know, they feel self-conscious about not wearing a mask mm-hmm. because their peers haven't seen them without a mask before. So mm. you got, you know, image issues and self-conscious issues and things like that. So that's yeah, the man. thing, right? And then people are still scared of getting sick, right? I have a, in my doctorate program, one of my, my cohorts, she quit because we came back on campus mm. and she was like, yeah, I just don't feel safe. You know what I mean? And so mm. um, there is a collective trauma for everybody. I think everybody mm. had to suffer through some mm. form of trauma being stuck in the house for you know, the greater part of 18 months, you know what I'm saying? So um, Mm. with that comes children who can't really articulate some of the things that they feel. um, And then they, you know, it manifests itself out in behaviors, you know? And Mm. so um, that's kind of, kind of what I see, like some of the colleagues that I talk to who are teachers and educators, man, it's like, I'm trying to inform them that this behavior you see is a direct byproduct of the trauma they experienced. 100%. And I think it's it's kind of like when would be a better time to to operationalize and use hip hop therapy or hip hop wellness based approaches, right? Right. We're we're emerging from a time where we were completely shelled up, sheltered in, um closed off, right? Hip hop is hip hop hip hop therapy for specifically, right? Is is a tremendously embodied approach. Right. It's reactivating and getting back online. Like even even if you don't dance, right? When you're rapping and you're moving, you're, you know what I mean? You're bopping, you're you're engaged physically. Uh, you know, you're engaging your breathing, you're you're breathing in your diaphragm, you're kind of it's it's a very enlivening experience. You know, you can't come up on a you know, to a mic if you're just kind of dull and dead. So that's a way to reactivate the body, get the kind of like take you out of that freeze state that we all have been collectively forced into in a sense. Um, and it's also tremendously relational hip hop, right? You were talking about the cipher before. Um, that's something that we've all, all been deprived of, um, you know, youth, especially during those formative years that when that's your, your primary, your peer group is, you know, the primary thing and then not seeing them every day in school and it all just becoming virtual digital life. Um, so I think, I think, you know, hip hop therapy is particularly useful now and primarily because of what's inherent to hip-hop culture with that that relational nature and um and it's Indeed. it's imbo- embodiment you know what i mean it's not right. just sitting and talking and you know right i swear you had this like you you've been reading my script <laughs> uh, so my next point mm-hmm. man i saw you on i don't know if it was a podcast or uh, some kind of zoom meeting i saw you on you posted on ig where you talked about knowledge movement and embodied knowledge mm-hmm. right and then you, you you know you you quoted um Karis one in his hip hop mm-hmm. lives joint. So I'm going to just kind of read these lyrics, man, and we're going to kind of break these things down Dope. and then we go from there. So it says hip means to know it's a form of intelligence to be hip is to be update and relevant. Hop is a form of movement. You can't just observe a hop. You got to get up and do it. Do it hip, yeah. hip and hop is more than music. Hip is the knowledge. Hop is the movement. Hip and mm-hmm. hop and intelligent movement, a relevant movement. Be selling the music, right? So in that whole you know eight bars or whatever that was it was so much power in that and him just breaking down really everything you just said just prior to that you know this question is i think one of if not one of the most poignant pieces of art that krs1 has ever exhibited and he's got a lot in his toolbox Mm -hmm. and in his in his discography but I always felt like this was one of his doper songs, especially I think it would have came out in 07 or something like that. And mm-hmm. um, I just thought it was dope, man. So let me get you how you how you broke that down. Yeah, I mean, he he hit it on the head 100 percent. And I, it, it also, I think, ties back to what we were speaking on before about the uh, the benefits of emceeing that that cultural facet right the intelligent movement the hip and the hop the knowing um so when you're when you're rapping you're utilizing language right you're utilizing your your intelligence um you're trying to make a point you're telling a story 
Um, but it's not just speaking, you're doing it in a bodily, you know, a very embodied fashion where you're bopping. Um, and that there's, there's rhythm that invokes movement built within the syllables themselves, right? The, the exchange between stressed and unstressed syllables, that's the hop that's built within it. But each, each syllable, each rhythm, each unit of rhythm also has verbal significance, Right, right. That's kind of the what I think really can amplify in terms of bridging that gap between top down and bottom up uh, approaches where hip hop, <clears throat> hip hop therapy and I'm seeing especially really bridges that gap in terms of holistically bringing the whole brain on online in a sense, right? Hip would be those higher cortical regions, the human brain, the thinking, the analysis, critical uh, awareness, critical consciousness. And then the hop is kind of more the reptilian, the limbic, um, the movement. Uh, so I think in the hip is the knowledge, hop is the movement. He's very succinctly um, describing what makes hip hop such an effective art form right. but also as a result an, an effective tool um when attempting to utilize it for healing because it's hitting um all aspects of our existence right the emotional right. the physical the mental the spiritual even um it's tapping into all of them simultaneously you know what i mean like right. instead of it being specialized and segmented and separated um, and there's not many things that I can think of where I'm engaged in it that I feel like all of those are online at once. You know right. what I'm saying? Um, and that that holistic functioning from the brain, right, even on a neurophysiologic level, is what is necessary for traumatic processing and working through some of these right. traumas that we've experienced that get lodged in our brain and get kind of get stuck um, right. and aren't, you know parts of our, our brain shut down and it's kind of, it's kind of trapped in there. So the only way to really process a traumatic memory is to access it first. And right. a lot of it is just kept offline. Right. Um, hey, so I think, I, yeah, like the, the whole point of the, the trauma experience for me and why I even got into hip hop in the first place was it was event. Like I think in fourth, fifth grade, I started writing short stories. And so those short stories would be, me dealing with whatever trauma that I was dealing with at the time, but metaphorically using it as different characters. Mm. So, you know, the trauma would be the bad guy and, you know, the, the kid superhero would be me dealing with the trauma or me mm. living with the trauma simultaneously, which everybody thought was weird when I was like 10, you know what I'm saying? But as I got older into, into being an artist, those things that would they would always leak themselves out in different songs no matter if I was just trying to tell you how dope I was mm. I'd always bring up some type of trauma response mm. within that right and so even the whole name Michael Myers and that whole persona was really my vent of killing things mm. was really me trying to kill that trauma right and so that's why I spell my name Mike Kill Myers right and it's just it was it was catchy at the time because it looks good on, on, at warehouse or the CD place, right? But also it was a metaphor for Mike skills, you know what I'm saying? And mm -hmm. also short for or abbreviated to, you know, me killing off those the, parts of myself. Right. Those parts, of, exactly. The parts of myself. Right. And so I was, I always struggled with the duality of Michael Arrington versus Michael Myers. And so mm -hmm. for me, I lived this bipolar lifestyle because mm. i am a beast on stage or in the studio but mm. i'm one of the most humble cats you'll ever meet outside of that right mm. and so even in some of the people that i've talked to on this show mike and i included you know while i was trying to give him his flowers for his innovation and, and you know him pioneering a certain level of of, of mc and he was like you know hey don't sell yourself short man you mm. dangerous on the business end of that mike too Thanks. and um but I'm still struggling with the duality, right? And so, mm -hmm. um, but as I wonder, player, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Can, yeah, so I'm at a point now to where I'm trying to merge the two and I'm struggling mm, with mm. that. You know what I'm saying? I'm struggling with the yeah, two. Yeah, that's very interesting because I wonder to what extent that humble, calm side is allowed to exist because you're getting all of that out on the stage when, the, when you bring the beast out. You know what I mean? Right. And it's almost like, 
it's almost like, and I can relate with this, that duality. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's, it's, it's almost inescapable, right? I think we all have those sides to us and maybe it boils down a bit to like Freud's conceptualization of it, ego, super ego, right? Right, right, right. You know, like, um, those really like basically when you're on stage, it's your super ego and id battling it out. Right. That's what it sounds like. You're trying to kill off these dark parts of yourself, these dark right. experiences, right? That's what, that's what from a Jungian perspective, confronting your shadow is, right? Recognizing right. these really dark, deep um, things within you uh, that we all have, that we, we, all, we often, you know, be like, oh, I'd never do that. I don't have those kind of urges. I don't have that like integrating the shadow is about recognizing like, now I have the capacity to be a, you know, a, a very dark person. Right. Um, but using that for good and using that in a way where it's sublimated or, or put into something um, that is more healthy. Right? right. So I think in a sense, you're doing that on the stage and that's, that's creating space for the ego, just you kind of like regular, you know, yeah, kind for of like me. Being calm and chill. Yeah, at, at in high school, I was a, I was a basketball dude and a football dude, mm. so that was a, a level of vent and frustration I can get out that competition, that physical contact, you know those types, especially with football. Like I can hit somebody and not get in trouble for it, or I'm, I'm mm. sign me up, right? Yep, and then, yep. <laughs> um, <clears throat> after that, you know, my career was over. Hip hop was the next best thing, you know. Mm. And if you came up in the time where I came up in the early to mid '90s it you, battling was a full contact sport you know what i'm mm. saying there'd be times where i had to fight because i said some really crazy something to somebody mm. man and so but i come from that like so even when i used to play on the blacktop playing basketball on the blacktop castle want to play one-on-one and i'd play for shoes right mm. we play for shoes and, wow. if, and, if, and if i can't fit them i throw them on the roof you know what i'm saying like <laughs> you don't get your shoes back you know what yeah. i'm saying so yeah, yeah. so hip-hop was that competitive uh force that i needed for that that level of vent because all of that vitriol i had from the childhood mm. trauma that i was experiencing and didn't really i couldn't even really articulate until i got to be an adult mm. right and so um so that's why when i work with the youth i really really understand some of the things they go through and some of the things they feel mm. and they don't know how to properly contextualize it all so it also manifests itself in, in just negative behaviors hundred percent. That duality you were just speaking of, what, what makes you want to bridge that? Um, because the two can't cease to coexist without one another, right? Like mm. for as much as the different as Michael Arrington is from Michael Myers, the only difference is in the two is when they're on stage. Right. Mm. And so like right before I'm on stage, man, and anybody that knows me has been close to me before I have a show, I am the worst. I'm, I'm very, very non-communicative, man. The anxiety and the, the nervousness, mm. it takes over. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And it's there until the beat drops. And mm. then once the beat drops, I am a totally different dude. Right. Mm. And in the minute I'm done, and I'm at my last song and I'm like, you know, I appreciate you guys coming out, man. Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. it means everything to me to hear, you know what I'm saying? Like the humble comes back, but yeah. in that, you know, hour, 30 minutes or whatever I'm on stage, man, I am a totally different person. Mm -hmm. And also though, when I'm speaking to youth or speaking to at conferences, I'm Michael Myers again. It's just, I'm not using that name. You know what I'm saying? When I'm talking about implicit bias or I'm talking mm -hmm. about suicide prevention or whatever the topic is, I'm in, I'm in a zone, you know what I'm saying? And so yep. that zone is not necessary for years. It's always been that zone was Michael Myers, but no, mm -hmm. that zone was me portraying an image as Michael Myers. That's you using that. That's you using that darkness for good. That's right. That's you integrating that shadow utilizing that right and and bringing that performance piece into when you're doing speaking engagements and all that right and my infatuation with serial killers really came from growing up in the 80s where there was real live yeah, serial yeah, killers yeah. running around you know what yeah, i'm saying yeah. so like so but how i got into therapy or psychology even was i wanted to know why people could flip like that 
You know, mm. they go from having a whatever life and going through whatever trauma they went through, but their way to deal with it is like, I'm going to go on a killing spree and do me. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I was very, very interested in how that the brain works like that. And so that's what Absolutely. got me into psychology, man. And so, you know, um, I took the long route, but I got here. <laughs> no, absolutely. They're similar for me, man. Like, I think most people get into psychology because they want to figure out what the hell's wrong with themselves. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, what is that? It don't make no sense. You know, that was it kind of for me. I want to figure out how to fix myself. It's fascinating. And, but I almost feel like it sounds in a sense, though, that like, that they're a perfect duo. Michael Harrington and Michael Myers. Like it sounds like they, unless other times when Michael Myers bleeds over into Michael Harrington and you're like, damn, I wish I could keep that separate. Yeah. That's times of like, you know, when I'm, I'm physically challenged or, you know, somebody crosses the line verbally with me where they bleed over. And it's almost, it's almost Bruce Banner, incredible Hulk. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like once, but once Bruce Banner was able to control Hulk, see how more effective he was. That's that's the integration <laughs> of the shadow. Exactly what you just said. Exactly. So, and like I said, so like, that's what got me into like, like, cause if for, for me, there's the duality of, of the metaphors of life mm. lead over into therapy because you mm-hmm. know, you can take a comic character like Incredible Hulk and really break down what bipolar schizophrenia looks like. Mm. You know, and just in the character, how the character just navigates life as those two people. Right. Yeah. And so for me, and I know you do a real good job of exercising that skill set when talking about different things and different topics. And I, I'm sure it resonates well with children. Yeah. Because you just got to make it make sense for them. Yeah. And I think it's that's why things like Marvel, you know what I mean? Like Harry Potter, there's a reason these things resonate with us. And to an extent where it's like, like, let's just take the Marvel series, right? Some of the most like technologically advanced films are about people running around and flying in capes and like stuff that it's kind of like, that doesn't make any sense, but it does because it does. there's something within these characters right. that we're, we're understanding and relating with, you know what I mean? Like that duality within ourselves, um, you know, how you can be a force for good, but you also have this like seated darkness within you. Um, there's right. something about that that's inherently human that it's that resonates globally, and that's why they can justify making these multi-million dollar, you know, franchises about this. So I think I think that's real interesting that you mentioned the Hulk because even Batman, right? I I right. I, I resonated with Batman and the Joker, that duality for the longest time. I guess it right. boils back to right, like the id, the Joker being the id and Batman being the super ego. Right. And um, you know, Batman's biggest flaw is that he wouldn't kill the Joker. Cause he was too much, too much on a high horse, right? Like anytime he really got the chance in the comics to kill the Joker, Never he did. wouldn't do it. Cause right. he, he would just put him in Arkham Asylum and he would get out again. You know what I mean? Right. So it goes to show that you're both, it's like two different extremes. You know what right. I'm saying? Like, I'm kind of like, you know, if that middle ground would have been like, if you catch him, kill him. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. Right. you know what I mean? Like, like, yeah, find that middle ground, that happy middle. Like they both were extremists in their own right. Um, and I think yeah, they both, I don't think they could exist without one another though. So exactly, they exactly. needed each other. Exactly. That yin and yang, man, it's that yin right. and yang. And I think, I think that's something cross-culturally that we all relate with as humans, no matter, you know, where you're from, where you were born, there's something about that duality of, of being human that we relate with and trying to find that third space, right. Trying to walk that fine line in between, um, the white and the black in the circle you're trying to stay on the middle you know like in the yin and yang there's a bit of the white circle in the the black swath right Right. there's a bit of the the black in the white one and that's kind of a sign of that represents like this integration the the you gotta have a little bit of the lightness in the dark and a little bit of darkness in the light um and i think yeah man i i um so it's it's almost like right like with michael errington in a sense might need Michael Myers, right? right? And vice versa, vice versa, right? You know, you need to be able to like take right. a, a sit, you know, sit back, chill. But it is, it's a constant balance between the two. Right. Like I remember other- um, being in Israel, man, and somebody telling me about breaking down the definition of the Star David, right? Mm. And so it was a one triangle faced upward, which was 
which is, was, you know, signified um, 180 degrees of positivity. And mm. then it was a downward triangle that intersect, which was 180 mm. degrees of negativity, thus making 360 degrees. And that was life. Right. Yo, and that's, so that's wild. You know what I mean? So you kind of need that darkness to be able to, because if you look at, if you, if you, from a religious perspective, if you look at mm-hmm. God, that's God. Like he, for as all free willing and love he is, he won't, he will strike down thee if mm-hmm. necessary. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So um, I think you need like a hundred percent of positivity is just not natural for humans. Yeah. And I, arguably that is exactly what you just said, right? Is kind of like a fundamental belief that religious structures are built upon in a sense, right? Like exactly what you just said about the star of David. Right. It, that's what the yin yet the yin and yang yin represents. And, yang. and right. those are like two completely different cultures. They were not right. coming up together, you know what I mean? So kind of coming up separately, divorced from each other, coming to these same conclusions. Right. It, it represents, you know, these higher um these deeper truths, right? Like these meta truths that right. go beyond us and the and the color of our skin and the country we, we were born within. Right. You know what I mean? That in a sense is like this underlying uh, current that I think, you know, tends to kind of cross, you know, all bounds. And I think hip hop taps into that. Yeah, hip hop does it better than most things. I think hip hop yeah. and maybe sports, yeah. probably do it better than anything else as far as integration and, and realization yeah. as well. You can yeah, always, sports is a great point. You can always tap into something metaphorically sports-wise that makes sense in life. 100%. And I think it's because it's, um, you know, Piaget talked a lot about kids and uh, playing games um, and how that was kind of like learning you know, this reciprocal exchange and that's what societies are built upon, right? Because when you play a game, you need to, there's competition, right? But there's also cooperation. You need a certain, like you're coming to the field knowing what the rules are, right? It's not like you're not bringing a basketball to a football field. It's like, we know these are the set rules as we we play, you know, so there's a a high level of cooperation going on, even though it's in the guise of this competitiveness, and similarly, right, trying to find that balance and how that can push us to right. um, some of the greatest achievements that, you know, right. is that sense of, you know, that competitive nature, but all within the realm of building towards the same thing. Right. And then also like in basketball, there's a certain synchronicity that comes with mm. five guys on a string defensively, right? All having to mm. communicate, right? And the, the level of teamwork and camaraderie and things that these are lessons you can teach children early of how to get along with mm. others, man, how to wait your turn, how to yep. um, lift up, you know, your your comrade and um and then how to deal with structure and how to deal mm. with lessons and hard work and sometimes you won't always make every shot and so how to deal with that these are all self-regulation techniques too right and so so that's the i think the beauty of people like us is that we can pick these metaphors from these real life situations Mm. and make it applicable for children or for people period Mm. so it makes sense to them because that's what i see with kids even in education like they don't understand why they have to do what they have to do Right. Mm-hmm. And so because 100%. everything, if I had, if I had it my way, man, all high schools would be vocational ed. Let's get them mm-hmm. going. Let's get them college ready, get them work ready either yep. or, you know what I'm saying? I think now they're just taking classes and following these, these, these theoretical, the, theoretical scripts that mm-hmm. really don't make sense for what they mm-hmm. do. Right. Like 100%. nobody's teaching them how to be an entrepreneur. Right. hundred percent. 30% of these kids will probably be entrepreneurs at some point, or at least should be. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's how you really make, wealth not necessarily getting a job it's really creating these private things that you do on your own and it's about the passion of it that's just success is for me i can do what i want to do and make a great deal of money doing what i love to do and it's not work (laughs) you know absolutely absolutely that's what we need to be teaching kids man is are we you want a straight a student or you want a happy student Mm. right you'd be fortunate to get both yeah yeah, the, the education system is like tremendously antiquated and there's a lot of movement in that space of trying to change it, but I don't know. I don't it's see heavy, it. It's heavy, man. One of the reasons yeah. why I went to get my doctorate in education and social justice is to be that voice in the room that makes that change. Because I just mm. don't think the people that are there now 
really get it and not to any fault of their own it's just the yeah. further you are removed from a situation the the less likely you are to tap into what's current 100 percent. you know what 100%. i'm saying so um so yeah man um lastly man i know musically um you do your thing as an artist man where some of the platforms that people can reach and get your stuff and check you out, man. I think you are highly intelligent, brother, man. And um, I appreciate you just giving your time, man, and your, and your expertise on different things, man. So I appreciate that. But where can people find you at? I appreciate you, man. It's an honor to be doing this with you. Um, I would love to collab, man. You got some, you got some fucking bars yourself. Uh, I appreciate it, man. I actually got an yeah, idea. Man. I want to run past you, man. When we, you I know. would love to, man. I would love. Yeah. So yeah, you guys can find me at. Uh, I go by Phoenix. Uh, spelled like a fiend though right like f-i-e-n-y-x uh kind of for me when i first came up with the name it was uh you know symbolic of my struggles with addiction and that perpetual cycle of rising from the ashes uh and then crashing and burning again and that cyclical nature of life right there's kind of the 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 snake eating its tail the oroboros um which funny enough is exactly what we were just talking about right 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 um so yeah check me out on spotify youtube um itunes all, all streaming platforms um yeah i'm hoping to put together an album uh by the end of this year i've been working on on some stuff keeping it on you know tucked um but yeah, it's tough, man, with, you know, with the nine to five and, and right. uh, you know, working, making music all day with the, it's, it's tough to find the time or even the energy. Right. But uh, at the end of the day, man, I'll, I'll always be making music because first and foremost, it's a way, it's, it's a form of self-care for me, whether I ever sure. drop it or not, you know? Um, well, yeah, I will I say this, man, as, as advice for any aspiring artist, man, put that shit out. You know what I'm mm. saying? Like, if you mm. don't put it out, the world will never hear it, man. You know what I'm saying? And you never know who it resonates to. You know what I'm saying? And, and like, True. you might you might be the reason why somebody stops doing drugs or stops mm. doing, you know, whatever. I, I, and I, I stress that because we are in a time where it's, it's easier to put out music than it was, mm -hmm. say, 20 years ago. You know what I'm saying? So um, I urge you, man, somebody is as talented and as intelligent as you are to put that shit out regardless of whatever, because you can sit and critique your own shit till, till the cows come home. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so just put it out, man, and let the people tell you how good it is or how, how whack it is. You know what I'm saying? And um, yeah. why have the freshest shit on your hard drive and nobody hears it? Mm. You know what I'm saying? No, I, so, I appreciate that. That's, that is a very valid point. And whatever help you need from me, man, let me know, man. I've been doing this some 25 years, man. So it's not too much Dope. I don't know. And if I don't know it, I can plug you in with somebody that does. Boom. No, thank you, man. I appreciate that. I appreciate it, man. My man, JC Hall, BU Podcast. I'll be right back. You are listening to the BU Podcast with Michael Arrington. Yeah, that's right. We're back. Uh, BU Podcast, man. Shout out to my boy, JC Hall, for coming through, man. Hip-hop aficionado, wordsmith, hip-hop therapist, um, doing good work over there in New York, man, the South Bronx. Um, really proud of the things he's doing, really proud of the legacy he's carrying on uh, for Dr. Tyson. Um, I hope you enjoyed uh, that conversation we had. I think it's really, really powerful, man, the people that are kind of doing this work really kind of get the shine that they deserve. A lot of this podcast is really about shining light to the to the real heroes out there that are doing the work, man, helping the youth, helping people, man, helping um, disenfranchised communities. Um, I think it's very, very important that they get their shine as well. Um, people like JC, man, people like uh, my girl Brittany Williams um, and the other guests that come, Jessica Lascano. Jordan Donnell, you know what I'm saying? Like doing the real work, helping people, man, be better. One of the things that you'll find as you get older that I'm noticing as I get older is the level of ignorance that we keep ourselves under because of things that we don't want to encounter or things that we don't want to face, right? Like we don't want to face our... Uh, our worst demons, right? Or the things that we suffered through in childhood, the loss that we've encountered in this lifetime. 
if you grew up when I grew up and time I grew up, man, in the 80s and 90s, man, I lost a lot of friends to drive-bys and the crack era and going to jail and, you know, those things are traumatic, man. If you grew up in South Central or Inglewood or Watts, you know, uh, East L.A., Boyle Heights, Lincoln Heights, Southgate, Linwood, Hawthorne, those types of cities, you know, south side of Chicago, you know, Flatbush and, and, and Brownsville and the Marcy Projects, Queensbridge Projects, things like that, man, you saw a lot of death and just destruction of a generation. Those things are traumatic and those things that we went through and processed through aren't normal. It's not normal to, to, to see that level of death and destruction and uh, to see people go from friends of yours to, to drug addicts and to come from abusive homes and single parent homes and broken homes and all those things. We normalize it because that's what we had to do. But it's a different day. Those things linger. Those things manifest itself in the mind and in the body. And um, when they, you know, they come out as, as different behaviors and different quirks and things that we have to encounter and have to deal with as adults. You know, you can only sweep with so much stuff under the rug before you have a lumpy ass rug. And um, it's time to, you know, to, to, to really clean up uh, the mess that we've made by sweeping things under the rug and um, trying to tough it out, and, you know, trying to grow thick skin and all those things that we tell ourselves we need to do when we're, when we come from a certain era. And so uh, just shout out to uh, the people out there, man, that's doing the work, therapists, life coaches, health coaches, you know, spiritual guidance, all that type of stuff that people go to when they need help. And shout out to those people who are, are, are crying out and getting the help and doing the work to heal. Like I said, man, you got to uh, heal the hurt first and then feed the growth to become, to, to get to a point of, of clarity in your life to where you start kind of living your best life, you know, and, and dealing with some of the issues that we just avoided for years, for decades, man. And those things kind of, kind of like metastasize and, and become malignant. And, um, like I said, they manifest themselves in, in, in behaviors, how you treat people or how you get treated. And it, it, it manifests itself in, in how you are unsuccessful in relationships, intimate relationships, uh, friendships, partnerships, business relationships, mother-daughter relationships, father-son relationships, father-son, mother-son relationships, you know, father-daughter relationships. These things come out, and I think it's time that we kind of hit head on, man. You won't necessarily ever heal unless you get through it, not get around it get through it it's important that you know you realize that in order for you really to heal you may have to sit back in those rooms where those traumatic things that happened to you and deal with it right and like my dad having dementia when I first found out you know many moons ago when it was kind of really just early onset you know I grieved it and I grieved it heavy you know what I'm saying because you know for all intents and purposes and for every negative thing that he had did to me, it's still my father. And he was the first role model that I ever had. And, you know, there was parts of my father that were great. And I take those things with me and I blossomed and developed from those good things. There was also some negative things that, you know, he put me through either, you know, by proxy or vicariously that, you know, he just didn't know. And I'll never really have that moment with him to be able to, to have those challenging conversations so that he can learn from how I had to deal with his level of abuse. And I'm going to just call it what it is, abuse. You know, when you, you call a kid retarded or you, you make them feel less than it's, it's abuse, you know what I'm saying? And so I'll never have that complicated conversation with him to let him know that that wasn't okay. I made it through despite those things that, you know, I had to endure. And, you know, but it, it's, it's that time, man, that we have those conversations with the ones who, you know, 
put that level of abuse and put us through that. It's time in order to heal to get have those direct, sincere conversations, man. And um, it's important that we do that. And so, so all those who are struggling with, you know, childhood trauma or relationship trauma, those types of things, it's it's very very important that you get through that and you have those serious 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 conversations with you know potential loved ones and 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 you get through that level of trauma that you deal with you got to hit it head on man if you do not it's it's be difficult to to heal from it so i like to give everybody that's going through that level of stuff man permission to feel permission to um feel however you feel man stand in that and then find a way to get through it um, this is Mike Arrington, the BU Podcast. I'm out. Till next time. You are listening to the BU Podcast with Michael Arrington. Michael Arrington.